0: how does that like sit in your head sort of thing it's
1: confusing yeah yeah. because it's your identity i feel it through my bones that i'm an australian yeah and then when i'm exposed to an act of racism Mm. that i consume in media i think it kind of like throws my world upside down because i can't relate to
0: it and yet i can yes welcome to crazy be arch asians the podcast for asians in the west Hi, I'm your host Sharon and I'll be diving into the issues that Asians can face in the Western world from culture and identity to entertainment to love and dating. We've got a special guest for today's episode. She's a good friend of mine and we actually met at work. I knew the moment I talked to her on a work zoom that I had to get her on the pod. Josephine Huynh, a.k.a. Josie, is the editor of two Australian property publications, Domain Magazine and Domain Prestige Magazine. She has had a brilliant career in journalism, bouncing between lifestyle, fashion, and property journalism in both Canberra and in Sydney. Josie and I sat down on a Friday night on my living room couch, snuggled up with my dog Keish, and we dived into some pretty big topics. Stuff like assimilation, representation, what does it mean to be Australian? So yes, big, big buzzwords. So I want to preface that this chat is super free-flowing. We dip in and out of topics, we digress many, many times. But most importantly, because race is such a nuanced topic, many of the times we don't have the answer and we're really bouncing off of each other and discussing a certain topic. Perhaps view this episode as food for thought, because I believe we've raised some really interesting feelings, feelings that neither one of us could put into neat English words, but perhaps you guys will all relate to and have felt some time in your life. Within this conversation, Josie shares her childhood growing up in a small Aussie town as a child of Vietnamese refugee immigrants, as well as her fabulous career in Australian journalism. She also tells her incredible family story on how they left after the Vietnam War and made it to the shores of New South Wales. Without further ado, let's meet Josie. I want to go back to sort of baby Josie, you know. Oh my God. Go back to the very beginning because I feel like. You know a big part of this podcast is telling the immigrant story mm. and a lot of that does start in our childhood i mm. know you know our audience can really relate to that because a lot of us moved here or a lot of us were born here mm. but you know there comes a time where you're like oh i'm growing up in a western country but i'm not quite like everybody else and yeah i really want to kind of start at the beginning mm. so You grew up in Newcastle, right? I did, yes. Or what do they call it? (laughs) Newy.
1: They, Novocastrians, yes. Yeah, like what do they call it? We call it Newy. And I think every time I talk about, oh, I just hopped on the train or I just drove to Newy, everyone's Mm -hmm. like, where's that? And some people actually get it um, mixed up with Newcastle in like...
0: The UK. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. But for those of us who aren't familiar Mm. with Newcastle Mm -hmm. or Newy, can you tell our audience what kind of a city is it?
1: Newcastle is small town mentality. I grew up in Newcastle for 17 years. So I moved out of home when I was 17. Mm. I was born in Newcastle. If you can envisage the most quintessential life Mm. of a young girl coming from an immigrant family uh, who had come from Vietnam I've lived that life. Yeah. We had a bakery. We like, had many bakeries. Yeah. I grew up in a chain of restaurants. My weekends were spent working at the shop. Yeah. I didn't have sleepovers. Uh, hanging out with friends were, was, just wasn't a thing. Like mm. If I wanted to do something as innocent as go shopping with a girlfriend, I had to plead my case, basically beg on my hands <laughs> and knees to go out and do something fun like all yeah, the other yeah. Aussie kids. Absolutely. You know?
0: Was it a case of like... Okay, I got an A plus in this test. Yes. So can I go out on oh my Saturday? Gosh, yes, yeah. this is
1: just bringing back so much PTSD yeah. from me. For me, sorry. Like I said, I grew up in bakeries, restaurants. Mm. At one point my parents owned a Asian fusion all you can eat restaurant. Oh wow. Slash karaoke bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was the time of my life and the time of my sister's life as well. She yeah. had the karaoke stage under control. I love that. I had the ice cream machine (laughs) under control. I love that.
0: That's the great thing about Australia being so multicultural is you know a lot of first generation immigrants who come here Mm. open up restaurants and they serve their cultural food and it's it's why Australia is has so many multicultural cuisines. It's why we're so diverse in terms of our cuisine. A hundred percent, because that's what a lot of people had to do. It's what Italian immigrants mm. had to do. Mm. It's what a lot of Asian immigrants had to do. Yeah, and I feel like it's something our audience can really relate with. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people's parents really went down that path.
1: Well, the reason why my mum and dad did it was because, you know, when they came over here after the war, mm. they... They didn't know how to speak any English. Mm. They didn't know how to speak one single word of English. So yeah. like many people say, food is a universal language. Yeah. And that was their only way to really communicate with a lot of emotion. Like you can yes. have a beautiful meal and like... Sights and smells, it can take, it can whisk you to a certain time yes, and place in absolutely. a second, absolutely. and that's what food does as well. So, yeah. I guess that was a way for my parents to communicate. Yeah. It was also a profession that didn't require mm. uh, English, I guess, as a prerequisite, yeah. um, and it was just something that a lot of people could relate to and their bridge to form that those connections with Australians were you know somebody anybody from all walks of life can walk into their shop
0: yeah that's beautiful they don't have to
1: say anything absolutely But then they just bond over food because who doesn't love food yeah
0: exactly (laughs) and you're right it doesn't need a language yeah but when you
1: first ask, let's take it back to baby Josie the first Mm. thing that I thought about was my old passport photo, mm. which was, and I'll have to show you. Oh Maybe God, I'll please. show you now. Oh, yeah. I'll just reach for my phone and show you. Yeah, please do. I want to preface that this is a child who uh, has unlimited food for breakfast, lunch and dinner mm. and snacks and all the, all the times in between. Yeah. yeah. Hence working at the bakery. And this is the <laughs> uh, effect of that.
0: <laughs> oh my god that is so cute the haircut okay so obviously podcasting is not a visual medium mm-hmm. medium but can you just sort of explain what's happening in this picture <laughs>
1: well not a lot other than this huge round head of mine <laughs> sans neck there's no neck there there's a um lovely bowl cut courtesy of mama Wynn, mm-hmm. a double denim outfit that i'm rocking Love and kind of perplexed Look on my face. Yeah,
0: it's the 90s (laughs) Asian kid. The bowl cut. I feel like every one of us had that bowl cut. I know. We're going to have to put it in the show notes. Oh my God, yes, please. (laughs) I might have to put it on the Instagram page. Oh oh God. If Josie will allow me. (laughs) I'll link to your profile. Oh god. So growing up in Newey, my understanding of, and correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding of general sort of Asian immigration Mm. into Australia is... A lot of us like to move into big cities. Mm. So Sydney and Melbourne, that's the real draw card for a lot of sort of new immigrants. And usually that's because there's a lot of other people in those cities of the same background. So in Sydney, you know, you've got uh, a large Vietnamese community, a mm. large Chinese community, and generally people like to settle in these places. My understanding of Newcastle is it's very, very Western. Correct.
1: Right, that's right. It's yeah. very
0: Anglo-Saxon. It's
1: very surfy.
0: Yes. Yes. very
1: blonde curls absolutely blue eyes yeah and that was very pronounced yeah. for me
0: yeah
1: my parents chose newcastle again for business right so they couldn't afford sydney they couldn't yeah. afford melbourne yeah so they looked to the main streets of more regional towns which mm. at that time 40 odd years ago yeah Newcastle wasn't as gentrified as it is today
0: absolutely. and
1: so Newcastle was just where they could afford yeah. very much growing up I felt like I was very different
0: mm. so you did get those feelings I did um, yeah. I
1: did yeah. I never felt like I was discriminated against at mm. all I think that's also the beauty of coming from a small town mm. is uh they were inclusive newcastle's a very laid-back beach suburb i never i felt that i was different yeah but i was never made to feel different okay if that makes sense Yeah,
0: that's nice yeah but
1: i think that's also because working in the family business Mm. i was dealing with people who didn't look like me every day yeah I went to school I went to the same school from kindergarten to year 12 wow. and I went to a Christian school yeah. as well and there were probably only another two to, to three Asian families mm. in all 12 years mm. of my schooling and even then you know the teachers would get us mixed up and I know that they don't you know their intention is good Mm -hmm. but it happened and it happened more often than not yes yes and it just became normal to be like you know if you got a certificate at chapel Mm -hmm. they would stumble on your name yeah or if you were in class and you raised your hand to ask a question you you would prepare to be called the wrong name yeah
0: <laughs> and get
1: mixed up with yeah. you know the other beautiful Chinese woman sitting next to me <laughs> yeah it, it was just a thing and they mm. don't mean it but mm. it was definitely pronounced because that was just what would happen at school
0: yeah did that make you feel any sort of way or were you kind of just met about it
1: I was met about yeah. it because yeah. I I feel like they didn't do not do, they do not intend to hurt me mm. And it comes from a good place. And I have that approach with a lot of people who just are uneducated, I guess, when it comes to race. Yeah. Um, And when it comes to making somebody of colour feel the way that they do by the simple things that they say. Absolutely. I just put it down to if you don't have
0: bad intentions. Absolutely.
1: All you can do is educate them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm. And I feel like with your story, it really speaks to the idea that although you yourself felt different to everybody else... Mm no one really made you feel that way mm. and it wasn't um it wasn't a malicious sort of act of racism or anything like that and i feel like that's quite a nuanced um experience of mm. a, a part of the immigrant story that's not really told as much because obviously the the stories of crazy racism obviously mm. you know gets a lot more clicks or yeah. you know has a lot more eyeballs and ears mm-hmm. but even just a simple story of yes I was different I looked different I felt different Mm -hmm. but nobody nobody was discriminatory Mm. nobody was vindictive yeah and that's a story in and of itself you know I also went to a Christian school in primary school and the reason why my parents sent me there was because it was private and for our audience who's not in Australia just a bit of context with sort of private and public schools, in comparison to a lot of countries out there, Australia has a big portion of private schools yep. and it is quite normal to send your kids to private schools. Yes. So whoever's in the US or the UK don't uh, sort of assume that, mm. you know, it's a upper class sort mm. of vibe, you know, very sort of normal middle-class families send Mm -hmm. their kids to private schools. Um, It's just that private schools have some sort of a religion attached to it. Yeah,
1: it's interesting that you point that out because it's so true. And I think for a lot of Asian families Mm. who end up in Australia, Mm. there is that, you know, that whole deal about Asians being strict on their children to perform to a certain degree at school, which it's true; it does mm-hmm. exist, and I feel like you know those conservative Vietnamese and, and any Asian parents have that mentality of, well, if I send my kids to a private school, yeah. I'm increasing all their chances for them to be a studious kid.
0: Absolutely, um,
1: and that's certainly where where my parents were coming at it from. Yeah, um, and so you know, it's it's interesting because. If you meet my mum and dad now, they are so laxed. Mm. They are the most assimilated yeah. Vietnamese family. My dad is like, he wears Haviana thongs and his favourite <laughs> beer is VB and he loves to watch the NRL mm. and he loves to have a punt on sports bet. Like my dad is the most Vietnamese bogan man ever <laughs> now. I love that. Yeah. But it has taken a mm. while for him to get here and yeah. it has taken – Me to grow up the way that I have, in Mm. order for him to be more relaxed and exhale about all of that stuff. But there are times when I do come home and we sit around the dinner table and mum and dad are still very conservative. I think Mm. I think in theory they are, but you know, like my dad says, Don't you dare ever bring a boy home who has a goatee piercings and Mm. tattoos. Yeah. But then my brother-in-law, Jonas, who is from sweden his best friend robin who had come to live with us in my parents home Mm. for like six months when they were traveling here Mm. robin is he doesn't have a centimeter on his body that doesn't have any tattoos on it (laughs) he rides motorbikes he's like your typical bad boy and my dad and him were besties yeah so they have this idea Mm. but they don't walk the walk and talk to the talk i think you know same with um LGBTQ community, you know, my mum and dad still—they don't want to talk about it. When they see anything Mm. that represents that group on TV, they Mm. shun away from it. But if I had a best friend who was gay, lesbian, whatever, Mm. I have many friends like that. If I were to bring them home, they would be filling up their plate with spring rolls. Like it would be like family mentality. So it's it's just really interesting that when they're forced to talk about something or accept something, they they think that they should act and behave in a certain way. But mm. when it actually is in front of them, they're not like that at all. hundred
0: percent. And I feel like that comes down to a lot of just Asian hospitality. Mm. And my parents are the exact same. Like they don't, like to talk about it in a, in a formalized setting, mm. but I, like you have had friends who are part of that sort of the queer community. Mm. And when they come over to my parents' place, it's literally like through food again, mm. <laughs> cut your fruit, have you eaten, exactly. serve you lunch, serve you dinner. Like, I, I don't really know where that comes from, but I feel like mm. it's just the polite and well-mannered thing to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a rhetoric that you know, Asian hospitality, mm. and there's this idea, maybe in Vietnamese culture, but there's certainly this idea in Chinese culture of mm. you know, if someone goes to your place, they're the guest, yeah, and you're supposed to you're supposed to treat Shower them, like, them oh.
1: with absolutely, food and gifts. absolutely.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned you mentioned the word assimilation. Yes, um, I feel like that's a massive, massive topic. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a lot to unpack in there, but generally. Simulation into Australian culture. What does that mean to you? And what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think I'm quite lucky. Mm. Like We've spoken about it just before. Mm. I was never f- made to feel different. Yeah. I think that also is derived from your point of view and your perception, of how you put yourself out mm. there to the world. Like I would like to think that I'm quite a confident Australian, yeah. and I know who I am, and yeah. I have known who I am and want to be Mm. since a very young age Mm. so despite knowing that yeah I look different Mm. there were probably acts of racism that were happening around me growing up in my 17 Mm. years in Newcastle but I just was oblivious to it Mm. because I had my friends yeah and I had my family and I loved where I lived I was at the beach all the time yeah Honestly, other than my skin and my hair and my yeah, eyes, yeah. I was a Vegemite eating, <laughs> walking, bogan sounding
0: yeah, <laughs> absolutely
1: young girl. Yeah, um, so I was never made to feel like I had to assimilate, mm. which I feel very privileged and lucky to have mm. experienced. Yeah, but I do also acknowledge that that you know a lot of Asians don't have that same upbringing or experience mm. particularly when you're in your vulnerable teen yeah. ages those yeah. years shape your life mm. and i can only think of i can only count on one hand yeah. the number of times that people have been racist to me
0: mm.
1: and they've just been like now nah, i don't even want to waste time i don't want to give it any air time because yeah. it doesn't deserve it yeah. and it's your very like typical slurs
0: absolutely the go back to your own country yeah you know exactly
1: and it's just when you know they have nothing else to say
0: absolutely like just admit defeat today's episode is sponsored by buffy okay i have a confession to make i was terrified of going naked naked with my nails that is I've been getting shellac consecutively for the last eight months, so I desperately needed to get my naked nails back into shape. Enter stage right, Buffy. Not the vampire slayer, but the nail savior. Buffy is a three-in-one tool that makes your nails look fabulous without the polish. It shapes, it smooths, and it shines. And I'm talking a shine that could rival a clear varnish. I used to use those flimsy foam blocks and always had to throw them out after a couple of weeks because the gritty side gets all worn out. But Buffy is bougie. It's made from glass, making it long-lasting and compact. Love that for me and love that for the planet. Go to getbuffy.com and get obsessed with your nakey nails. Getbuffy.com now, back to the chat. Australia becoming such a multicultural country mm. and, you know, moving away from sort of imperialist British roots, mm-hmm. Every, I feel like every Australia Day, no matter, you know, how you feel, you know, it, there's obviously a lot of politics around Australia Day, yeah. but like every Australia Day the question is sort of what does it mean to be Australian? Mm. Like, w- what is an Australian, yeah. you know? Is it in the lifestyle and in mm. the mentality that you have mm. sort of the whole idea of going to the beach, you know, like you said, veggie mm. and stuff like that. Is it the activities? Is it the the sort of chill mindset? And it's not something I have an answer to at yeah. all. I think about it all the time and mm. I don't have an answer. Open minded, perhaps? Mm. Accepting, perhaps. Because I think largely Australians are friendly. Yes. They We're are. not a hostile Absolutely. country in general. No. Sure, you can have governments that dip in and out that don't support certain policies mm-hmm. generally australians are friendly
1: yeah they are i think it's just more so assimilation for me is just getting to a point where we don't have to talk about it anymore mm, you know interesting. it just becomes normality yeah.
0: yeah for absolutely. people
1: who like me have been lucky enough to feel that the day they they were born mm. but that's you know that's because I did grow up in an area that was really open to Mm -hmm. it and I had really amazing parents that made sure that I was protected to some degree yeah um but in saying that I've got family in Sydney Mm -hmm. my grandparents and my aunties and uncles still live in Cabramatta yeah we visit them every year for that yeah and now moving to Sydney it's like multicultural and another whole another level yeah In the last 10 years, I've lived in Canberra. Canberra is so interesting. Yeah. Because... In what way? There is just people... The economy there is thriving. People move to Canberra for work. It's a transient population. Yeah. People are in and out all the time. It's quite high income. Mm. It's um, very high property prices. Yeah. And very (laughs) low unemployment rate. Yeah. And people are all white. Mm you know, middle age, expendable income. Mm. If you were to just copy and paste the people sitting in Parliament House, times whatever, that's the population of Canberra pretty much. Okay,
0: interesting.
1: And I moved to Sydney in October and the spectrum is just so much more colourful and broad, not just race, but gender, queer community, Mm. uh, socioeconomic. Yeah. It's just... All walks of life are here. And I feel like it's catapulted the Sydney population to be more accepting of the Asian race. But then on the flip Mm. side, when there are conflicts, Mm. it is much more pronounced. Like I feel like racism is very real in Sydney.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Compared to where I have previously lived.
0: Interesting. Let's get into that a little bit. In what ways do you feel like... Racism is more pronounced. Like, obviously, you have casual racism, mm. as we just said—the mm. slurs, the, yep. you know, go back to your own country, whatever. You can very easily ignore that; mm-hmm. it's some rando on the street, mm-hmm. and you can just walk away from it. But do you feel there is something more insidious that you've seen, store? No, or or? it's
1: interesting because yeah. it's more coming from it at a positive light.
0: Yeah, when I moved
1: to Sydney, you know my face is in a magazine
0: Mm. it's in
1: two magazines every week yeah and I've moved from being the editor of a magazine in a smaller city Mm. to two magazines in a bigger city and one of them is national Mm. so our audience is larger and our audience has a voice and they are more engaged and I feel like there is a true connection between what I do pen Mm. to paper and what they consume and read in our magazine and so people are really vocal and people write to me Mm. um and also internally in my workplace when I first stepped into this role I was inundated with beautiful words from people saying Mm just thank you for being you mm. i made an effort to show this magazine to my two chinese kids we come from a traditional mm. chinese family but they have never grown up seeing a woman of color yes or a woman of asian background absolutely in a position of leadership let alone in a position where your face is printed in a national masthead
0: yeah yeah i was literally just about to ask you about that Mm. your face is in the domain magazine Mm. and it's also in the prestige magazine so Um, For those of us in the audience who don't know, uh, Josie has a beautiful career in (laughs) in property journalism and you also have a background in sort of lifestyle and fashion journalism as well. And having an Asian face in a Western publication, that actually has such a big impact on Asian kids, Asian Mm. teenagers who are maybe perhaps feeling like they're a little bit different. They might be going through some tough times or they might be feeling where is my place in this Mm. country? Can I make it in places that, you know, that I want to be in? Can I have the career that I want to have? And I think even when you were saying to me that, you know, your face is in these magazines, even for me personally, I'm like, that actually is such a big inspiration Mm. to see Asian faces represented in this way, because I don't know who said this, but it's, you know, a quote that's been going around. Mm. You can't be what you can't see, Mm. you know? That's so
1: good. That's so true.
0: Look, it's probably some famous person who said it and I, I (laughs) you know, I should just Google it right now, (laughs) but I've been hearing it everywhere. And especially, you know, in the conversations about Asians in Hollywood Mm. and Asians becoming more of a, a prominent feature in entertainment and in culture, just actually seeing an Asian face Mm. in a Western publication that actually can do so much and that actually has such a great impact. And the fact that, you know, people write to you Mm. saying that it helps them, it helps their kids.
1: Yeah. I think that that was the turning point for me was, you know, it it always feels weird to, Mm. for you, probably Mm. listen to your voice back on a Mm. podcast it's weird for me to see my face in a publication like you don't want to be boastful about that (laughs) it is what it is but also I find you know solace in the fact that it does help people even though it is such a small thing Mm. it could actually change someone's life because for me growing up I didn't see that absolutely and only you know in the last few years has it cottoned on to be something that should be at the forefront, you know? Mm. Disney now, they're not just promoting your Cinderella's, they're promoting your Mulan's. Absolutely. And, you know, what's that other beautiful, um, the girl with the green dress who kisses the toad?
0: Oh, um, Tiana's. Yes, 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 yes. Your yes Tiana's. Absolutely. And your Pocahontas's. Absolutely. Like,
1: growing up, that wasn't a thing. No. It, it was only mm. your beautiful... Pale skinned, absolutely Anglo Saxon, absolutely Disney princesses. Again, I know that it's such a small thing, yeah. but for a young girl and young boys, mm. it's so important. Yeah, um, and so you know, when I was reading magazines as well, this is how I got into the journalism mm. industry. Was I would collect dollies and girlfriends and I would break into my sister's room right. and I would steal her stash. Yes. But it wouldn't it wasn't for some reason the content that was engaging mm. although I loved that as well. But I would study the publishers panel as if my HSC depended on yes. it. Yes. Even though they you know the only headshot in the magazine was the editor really. Yeah. So I would I loved reading the editor's letter and I mm. think that that's why I wanted to become a journalist and how it's led me into the world of mags and how it's led me to want to be an editor Mm. is because those people uh, were what I, it was what I gravitated to and I would look Mm. at their names and I would Google them on like LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. Absolutely. And those were the people, they were my celebrities in my eyes. Mm. Um, And so that's how I kind of got into my career, but it was just really nice seeing multiculturalism yeah colorful faces behind those names absolutely and you know they're the people that aren't portrayed in the pages of the magazine they're the ones that are creating all of this great media and Mm. product and this must-read habit that i was completely obsessed and addicted to yeah and there were so many beautiful women of all walks of life that made this huge production happen but yet on the pages of all these columns and Q&As and how-tos it was just stock images of (laughs) like white people
0: yeah 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 and it wasn't diverse in the way that it is very much pushed now how how did that sort of make you feel like when you were going through that I mean like
1: many young girls i didn't feel good mm. but it probably wasn't something that i was consciously aware of i yeah. was more so comparing my body yes. to the model's bodies yeah and all of the other things that young girls worry about Absolutely. but subconsciously like mm. that takes its toll on you yeah. and it's not until you grow up in hindsight and you're like hang on a second mm that wasn't good and so now you know every every day when I'm at work I strive to always have that at the front of mind so you know going back to what I was saying before when people write to me about just having that sort of presence mm. in a publication i didn't get that in canberra i didn't get mm. that in newcastle or in any, any publication that i've ever worked for mm. before which is why i say i feel like it's more pronounced racism is more pronounced in sydney mm. because people go out of their way yeah. to say thank you for being you
0: right you're coming at it from somewhat of a of a different lens in mm. that way because you're kind of reading in between the lines of like, if these people are going out of their way to reach out to me, then it must mean that they are super hungry Mm. for this representation. And what does that mean? That means something may be missing in their everyday life. They may be Mm. going through something that's like, I don't really fit in in Sydney. Mm -hmm. Sydney's maybe a a difficult city for Mm -hmm. me to somewhat assimilate. And you can kind of see it in Sydney because we, we do get sort of pockets of gosh I don't I wouldn't even know what what to call it like pockets of you know a suburb having a large population mm. of x mm. culture or yeah. x ethnicity yeah. and there's nothing bad in that at all but is that sort of is that sort of saying that like people are a little bit afraid to assimilate or or uh, afraid to kind of mm. step out of their somewhat comfort zone yeah Um. Yeah. I. I can't. I don't really quite know what that means. I'm gonna ride this
1: wave with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking out loud here. I think they are afraid to an extent because the familiar is always something that is so comfortable to a Mm. human being.
0: Yeah.
1: Even from a fundamental level, no matter what race you are.
0: Yeah.
1: Most of these people come from a traumatic experience Mm. to live here.
0: Yeah.
1: I talk to every asian friend that mm. i have somewhere down the line we have the same story
0: right and i'm
1: sure your family does yeah. too for me my family which is quite typical mm. they uh refuge in australia mm. after the vietnam war
0: yeah
1: i'll give a quick historical yeah
0: please do please <laughs> story do.
1: for you which is quite fascinating yeah. and to be honest i i actually i personally need to delve into this a lot more Mm. i don't talk about my family's past Mm. as much as i would like to yeah i don't talk to my grandpa Mm. about what life was like when he was a general in the Mm. vietnam war as much as i feel like i need to um from what i know and it just makes me want like it gets emotional right of course yeah so I, my mum and dad fled the war uh, all of my dad's family still live in vietnam yeah. my my mum's sort of immediate family all live in australia mm. my grandpa was quite high up in the war he fought for the south and he was accused of being a spy for the Viet Cong. not oh, yeah wow.
0: okay so
1: he was captured by his own side oh
0: geez he was That's... a
1: prisoner of war they not only captured my grandfather but also his wife my grandma and they put them in jail mm. and my grandpa has like all these scars on his belly and on his back from being poked and probed with like hot iron mm. poles and stuff yeah. in a method of torture yeah. to get him to confess you know on what the Viet cong strategy was mm. but my grandpa was not a spy yeah so he didn't know yeah so he course. was betrayed like yeah. he felt betrayed yeah. and it you know as you can imagine and as many people have fought in the war like that excuse my french fucks you up
0: absolutely yeah
1: and he they they Put my grandpa away, they put my grandma away and my grandma was heavily pregnant at the time. Right. She had her first child Mm. behind bars in prison and that baby was coined the miracle baby. And that baby was my mum.
0: Oh Yeah
1: (laughs) Oh my god, this story. So when they were let go, my mum eventually became the eldest of twelve kids. Which is crazy, but I feel like that was normal wow. <laughs> way back wow. then.
0: She had 11 siblings.
1: She had 11 wow. brothers and sisters. Yeah. And then, you know, the war eventually subsided, um, but life was just never the same. Mm. So my grandfather put plans in place to flee the country.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is crazy because, like, imagine if you're, if you have to do that now. I oh, know. Which, you know, people ah yeah yeah yeah. at this present time in ukraine but what my grandfather did was he had his connections Mm. so there was a lot of fish seafood import importing and exporting in vietnam Mm. at the time like there still is he knew fishermen and men and just people with boats yeah his plan, and I have no idea how he pulled this off, but mm. his plan was to pair up the eldest child with the youngest child, the second eldest child with the sen- second youngest child, and so on mm. in pairs. And every single night, he would s- set out a pair to oh. meet some rando on some pier yeah. at like 2 a.m. in the morning to board a rickety boat. Right. Destination unknown.
0: Oh my god, this is giving me goosebumps. Yeah. Right,
1: and he did that six nights in a row on six different vessels, pretty much, yeah. and somehow we, they all made it to the shores yeah. of Australia. Oh,
0: thank goodness! I we can. Oh, I'm breathing a sigh of relief. Yeah. Wow. To, yeah. And, and like the
1: youngest kid was a baby. Yeah. So my right. mum had. My auntie Danny in yeah. her arms, basically. Oh, my
0: goodness.
1: And my mom at the time, you know, I don't know the details because I feel like they try to avoid talking about it because yeah. they're still, to some extent, trying to get over their past trauma. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it's just children.
0: Mm, absolutely. On
1: boats with a whole bunch of strangers trying to do the exact same thing to mm. seek a security mm. and a better life elsewhere. Yeah. And just hoping to God that they get, you know, scooped up by... Yeah. Someone who will open their borders to us, yeah. and so for the instance of my mum, uh, I think they were found by a Japanese coal vessel of mm-hmm. sorts, and then went through the whole immigration process, and they all found their way to each other again, That's except for insane. one uncle who is randomly in Poland. Oh my goodness! <laughs> who loves his life wow. there? He was just like, I love it here. I'll see you soon. Ages away, my goodness. Yeah. So we're all in Australia now, Mm. except for, yeah, that one uncle. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Uncle (laughs) Poland. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that that's how far we've come and that's the experience that they had to go through. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we're all kind of separated Mm. now in different pockets of New South Wales. Yeah. But we all made it. Yeah. And we're all living the Aussie life.
0: Oh, that's amazing, <laughs> honestly. And it's it can't it can't have been easy to get to Australia mm. and then to start a new life, afresh, mm. in a completely different culture, completely different language. But the thing is You guys all had each other. Did you feel that that would have helped? I'm sure it did. Family support.
1: Absolutely. I'm sure it did. But I guess this was a very long way of answering your question is, yeah, people are afraid Mm. to step out of their boundary. Mm. You know, When people congregate in a certain area, Mm. they do get a stigma of the demographic being known to being a certain type of culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. you know these. You know the Vietnamese community in Capramatta. I'm sure that they mm. bond and feel safe. Yeah. In numbers, mm. and for somebody who doesn't know otherwise, I'm sure it will be yeah so scary to yeah. step foot in a different suburb yeah. where no one looks like you.
0: And it, when the lifestyles are really different, mm. because for those who understand or know Sydney or you know Melbourne, mm. different suburbs have different sort of types of people. Yeah. Different. Um, personas perhaps Mm. different personalities Mm -hmm. and i have this theory that you know when my parents came to australia from china they were new immigrants so i'm second generation they were first generation my parents moved here when they were in their mid-20s i would say um They moved to a suburb that had a large Chinese population. And as new immigrants, they moved there as a way of feeling safe. You know, Mm. they're around the Chinese grocers. They're around Chinese people. They can slowly assimilate into Australian population without having a huge culture shock of, say, moving to the northern beaches Mm. where it's very very anglo and not not just anglo but very very surfy Mm -hmm. being thrown into maybe a situation like that it would have been very jarring yeah and then as time goes on in five years or ten years they feel a bit more comfortable to venture out Mm. they might move to a different suburb where it's a little less of the same ethnicity where it's a little bit more anglo my theory is As I have kids, so myself or my little sister, as we are more assimilated into Australian culture, as, you know, our English is probably better than my parents. Like, I'm going to say factually, my English is better than my dad's. That's just how it is. I feel like we then move into more sort of Anglo suburbs. Mm. So currently I live in Bondi. I feel completely comfortable Mm. with perhaps being the only Asian on the beach Mm. or, you know, I wake up at 6 a.m., walk down to the beach. There isn't a lot of Asians. Well, my point is maybe down the generations, people feel more comfortable, feel more assimilated, feel more Australian. That just goes back to what I was saying before. You Mm. know,
1: assimilation to me, diversity to me is when we don't talk about it. Absolutely. And it's just time. Yeah. And generations exactly like what you said. And it doesn't take long. Mm. The previous generation Mm. felt that way and we're only one generation in front and we already feel the way we do.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, that's not to discount, you know, anyone who may feel comfortable, you know, they feel assimilated, Mm. but they have racist experiences. I'm sure, you know, like myself, that's somewhat of how I feel. Mm -hmm. I feel very comfortably assimilated into australian culture but yes i can say that i have had experiences of racism 100 percent. it's making that step further or making making that first step mm. of you know I, I don't even know if the word is effort mm. but if it's just a natural progression mm. perhaps
1: You know, before when we were talking about how I feel like it's more pronounced here, racism, mm. whatever, mm. me being di- feeling different mm. is more pronounced here than it is anywhere that I've ever lived. But I also feel extremely privileged and lucky to not have that always at the front of my mind. Like yeah. you, you know, I can walk down the street, yeah, and my biggest problem of the day is like. A bloody hate the outfit that i'm wearing i'm not thinking are <laughs> yeah. uh, people looking at me yeah because i'm asian like yeah. i never think that and yeah. i feel extremely lucky yeah. to not have that mentality and yeah. to not have that mindset yeah. and but on the other side of things something will happen i'll see something on the news in the wake of asian directed racism post covid mm. yes i'll see something like racism happening to somebody
0: Mm. on the other
1: side of the world and it'll just snap me back right into reality
0: absolutely
1: and no matter how much i live my life Mm. not worrying about it but then i'll see something and it'll scare the shit out of me Mm. and it'll make me feel like i have to call my mum and say "Mum, be careful when you go out and do the groceries because i just saw this on the news
0: yeah See, that's really interesting you bring that up because it must be confusing. I don't know cuz I'm just I'm just trying to sort of work through that feeling mm. because it's kind of like two things can exist at the same time. Mm. You can personally feel like you're very comfortably assimilated and that racism doesn't affect you on a daily basis, yet come across current affairs, especially in the US, I feel like I'm reading Headlines every day about Asians getting attacked on the street. Mm-hmm. And you think, wow, violence and racism does exist against people who look like me, against people who I share DNA with, mm-hmm. against people who are of my ethnicity. Yeah. And it's, how do you, how does that like sit in your head sort of it's thing? It's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's
1: your identity. Yeah. Like I feel it through my bones that I'm an Australian. Yeah. And then, when I'm exposed to an act of racism mm. that I consume in media, I think it kind of like throws my world upside down. Yeah. Because I can't relate to it, yeah. and yet I can.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So I, I actually don't even know what to make of that feeling. I feel like I'm struggling to find an I'm English sure word. I'm sure
1: you, do you feel that way? Because, 100%. 100%. You know, I feel like you and I are very similar yeah, yeah. in a lot of respect, like yeah. a lot of ways in life. And I also get the inkling that your family, mm. your background, your upbringing is quite similar to me and yeah. that your parents are quite similar to me. And, 100%. Sorry, similar to my parents and of the same age as my parents. yeah. yeah. It's also funny that I will see something like that on the news mm. and I wouldn't worry about myself, but mm. I worry about my mum yeah. because she's in a different generation and I worry about my grandpa. Yeah. And my first instinct is maybe I should organize for their groceries to get mm. dropped off with them that day. Yeah. Because I just, to speak frankly, saw on the news yeah. somebody be punched on the street for no reason on their way to the bus stop.
0: Yes, yes. In America. Yeah.
1: Or it could be. Well and truly happen here mm. but i don't think i should stay indoors mm. i think they should stay indoors yes. and i become protective of them and i get emotional for them yeah. but not for me because i feel like i am australian yeah. but like you said i'm 100 percent vietnamese mm. i'm not even a halfie mm. i have the same dna yeah. as somebody who is living
0: yeah.
1: on the countryside in a rice field 100%. in vietnam And yet I'm a totally different person.
0: 100%. And like, I think what we're really diving into right now is sort of not, not an identity crisis, but more just, it's such a nuanced identity in that way. And what you just said is, you know, goes back to our point of generational differences, even just within one generation. The fact that you feel worried for them means that you're somewhat concerned that because they're probably not as assimilated as you are that perhaps something bad would happen to them. Mm. And to answer your question, I do feel similarly to you. But I also feel like having this podcast, having done sort of season one and having done, just having to force myself to think about it, to Mm. to do these episodes, because we have dived into a lot of issues-based episodes, I suppose, which meant that I've had to really think about my race a lot. And I think going into my 20s and coming out of my teenage years, I've actually had to do a bit of an audit on how I feel about things. You know, as a kid, as a teenager, you kind of just go with the flow. Mm. But since I have sort of turned 21, I'm like, I actually need to think about my identity Mm. and in a way right my wrongs. There's been things that I've done as a kid where I'm just going to say a very random example. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps a lot of people can relate to this. So I'm going to share this. But for example, parent teacher interviews. I went to an Anglican private school, mostly Anglo kids, you know, two to three Asians in the grade of 50 kids. And I would feel embarrassed if my parents would speak Mandarin amongst themselves. And I would say to them, I say to them, can you guys speak English, please? I don't want you guys (sighs) to speak Mandarin. And sort of going into an adult, I'm like, when that memory hits me, mm. I'm like, why was I doing that when I was a kid? Mm. You know? Did your parents That's awful.
1: correct you? Did they, were they like, shut you?
0: Shut no. You. <laughs> no, see, they, they didn't even. And I feel like that kind of came out of an anxiety even yeah. for themselves yeah. to be like, oh no, maybe we should be speaking wow. English. Well,
1: you know what? Yeah. I've probably done my fair share
0: of things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's... You're embarrassed yeah. as a young kid. Absolutely. And it's interesting because when you were talking about what, uh, how are your children going to mm. be brought up, mm. they wouldn't ever feel that way, I don't think. Like yeah. they would grow up where... You know, you would probably want to teach them Mandarin so they don't forget their roots and where they've come from. It's a hundred percent the opposite of what you would try to yes. do to your parents back in the That's day. A
0: hundred percent, and I feel like a lot of second-gen immigrant kids feel that way, mm. and I feel like it's a way of—I oh, don't know if "righting my wrongs" is the right word, mm. but sort of—I don't if I don't even know "protecting" is the right word.
1: Age, maturity, yeah. like. You, we regret so much stuff. It's Absolutely. like, it doesn't have to be anything race related. I get Facebook memories <laughs> every day that I regret. Yeah. And I think, how the hell did anybody employ mm. me with this on my Facebook wall? <laughs> yeah, And I delete so many things every day that I regret that I yeah. said 10, 15 years ago. So yeah. I wouldn't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. And the fact that you have that perspective now, and you're being proactive about creating mm. change. That's just great in itself.
0: And I feel like this is for our listeners out there who are still following us. I feel like this chat has been, you know, very sort of (laughs) casual. So I hope you're following on our sort of train of thought. But, you know, a big goal of this podcast is really just to get everybody talking about Hmm. the issues that perhaps, you know, circle around in your head, but you can't quite grasp the words of. And I feel like that's Mm. kind of... um, a feeling that we're getting in this conversation is Mm. we we can't really find the right English word for it, but it's a feeling that a lot of us have, Yeah, you know, that sort of feeling you have of two things being true at once of, you know, you not feeling like you're being, you know, discriminated against walking down the road in Sydney CBD Mm -hmm. yet at the same time, when you read a news article, you feel it in your bones. Mm -hmm. What's the English word for that? I can't find (laughs) one. Like there really isn't, I don't know someone look it up.
1: Um, (laughs) I have no idea. I'm an editor and I don't even know.
0: Yeah. Like I actually don't feel like there is a word for that nuanced feeling. Yeah. So to circle back to that thought of like, if you do feel like you're discriminated against, or you do feel uncomfortable in sort of whatever city you're in, whatever suburb you're in, how would you start to rewire that I feel like this is something I always tell myself Mm. whenever racist things happen. What they're saying is more of a reflection on them and not me. If they're saying racist things to me, like we said before, it's the end of the argument. They Mm. have nothing else to say Mm. that is logical, that is actually poses a debate mm. and actually addresses the issue that we're arguing about yeah. if you pull the race card it's like well that's it mm. so i would always say to myself that's a reflection of them yeah they're having a really crap day yeah you know it's either they are uneducated full stop or they're mm. having an uneducated moment mm. that's a reflection on them yeah not a reflection on you absolutely so I wholeheartedly agree yeah
1: there is no how to you navigate it
0: absolutely
1: Blind basically.
0: Absolutely. If you look at
1: how much we've progressed, Mm. it is heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. Small things like opening up a magazine and saying, seeing somebody of color, listening to a podcast like this, little things like that Mm. all Mm. combined to make a world of difference. So then what you project will arm you. From whatever anybody else is projecting onto 100%. you, hundred
0: percent. And mm. I think that really speaks to the power of representation, whatever that may be. You know, I feel like that word gets thrown yes. around so much. You know, you it read is. a lot of interviews. You work in media. I work in media. It's it's everywhere. Especially mm. since the release of Crazy Rich Asians, and then you know Marvel coming out with its first Asian movie. Which, actually, fun fact, I was going to be in that movie. Stop. And I was going to be in a scene with Simu Liu, but it did not end up happening. Yeah, I know. We're
1: going to talk about this at dinner. Yeah, okay.
0: We're going to talk about this off air, but <laughs> it—my face is not in there. My name's not in there, unfortunately, not. But you know, especially these sort of big Hollywood blockbusters yeah. pushing Asians into the mainstream, I suppose. Even if it's not representation on that level, mm. on something even more local, that can make such a big difference yeah. as well. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if you were to just sort of elevator pitch it, yeah. What does representation or specifically Asian representation mean to you? Like if I were to say representation, mm. what pops up in your mind?
1: What pops up in my mind mm. visually is just faces that look like us everywhere. Yeah.
0: I think the first
1: thing that I think of is representation in media because mm. naturally that's our industry. 100%. But it's just like I was saying, getting to a point where we don't talk about it, mm. where it becomes normal, Yeah. where... I don't feel like I need Mm. to tell my kids what to watch in order for them to see diversity. Yeah, absolutely. Where I just turn on the TV and it's there. Yeah. Where they can open a magazine and it's there. Yeah. Like I I don't have to go out of my way to make sure that they're consuming the right sort of media they need to in order to grow up feeling... The same, normal, yeah. Feeling even like they playing
0: belong. field. Like they belong, yeah. yeah. S- I love that. And you're so right, and I think it comes down to once we have reached a post-racial society, that, I suppose, is, mm. I don't know, the goal yeah. maybe.
1: It, it feels like it's getting there, mm. and I just wish that one day we'll get to a point where you can live the way you feel like you do naturally, yeah. organically, without yeah. being reminded.
0: Yeah
1: about racism when you don't feel it
0: yeah and I kind of want to say one more thing for our audience is like in conversations like this and I mean everyone's been amazing in season one we have a lot of people writing in like long essays about how they feel about a certain topic and we always invite people to agree or disagree it's not a thing of like I agree with everything you said on there Mm. this is a nuanced conversation absolutely We're, we're talking about race here everyone has their own experiences and it's If you disagree with something, honestly, Mm. I love reading. Bring it to the table. 100%.
1: Let's discuss it. 100%. And I apologize in advance if I've offended anybody.
0: (laughs) The thing is, no, 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 no. I suppose we'll end it here because we need to go. We're actually getting dinner and drinks. So I want to thank you again, Josie, for coming on and chatting with me. I would honestly love to get you back. Let's do it. You're very eloquent and you have a you know a lot of very nuanced thoughts about things. But thank you for session one. Thank
1: you. That's a very, very nice way of saying I digress a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited for next time then. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope this conversation with Josie encourages you to think about your family history and your current place in society, as well as talk about things that you can't quite pinpoint. And discuss issues that you might not have the answers to because a lot of detangling our nuanced eastern and western identity is really a work in progress as usual i'm shouting out some interesting places that have crazy biatch asians in them so if you hear your city shoot me a dm on insta i'd love to see you shout out to everett in the us changwon in south korea and cersei in switzerland If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm on YouTube under the same name. And if you want a daily dose of the best Asian memes, then just head to the Instagram at CrazyBiarchAsians. See you in two weeks. Bye.